Welcome back to another edition of Coffee Shop Conversations. You are with Bob and Frank. I'm Frank. That's Bob. You you can't see us, but we're here. Hi, Bob. And tonight what we're talking about is, we're gonna, it's more of a thought experiment than anything else, is some of the significance behind the Cain and Abel story. Um, it's, Bob had asked me for a question. I gave him one. <clears throat> Not so much in the form of a question as a, as a sort of a general topic. And that is a couple of things. What was the difference between Cain's sacrifice and Abel's? that caused the conflict? And second, how did Cain and Abel know to give a sacrifice at all? In other words, the law wasn't given, so what what were they responding to? What, what was that all about? And then what was the difference? Why did God not accept Cain's, but he would accept Abel's? If I got that, yeah, that's no right. And I, I think we just take it from there. Bob, what do you think? Well, a couple things as I thought about it. I purposely didn't go look any of the great thinkers of the faith. But uh, just, you know, what does the scripture say and what can we reasonably intuit from them? You know, um, you know the first thing, my first observation is that Adam and Eve have, for lack of a better term, face-to-face conversation with God after the fall. Okay? Yeah. Uh, it is reasonable to say that his, their first generation offspring had that option too. Uh, secondly, or thirdly, I guess you could say, um, maybe God told them that they were supposed to do a sacrifice. And I did hear years ago, some of the God clothed Adam and Eve by killing animals, making a sacrifice, so to speak, not in the ceremonial sense, but, uh, you know, in Hebrews it tells us without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. It's um, Hebrews 10 and 11 both talk along that theme. Uh, so, there was an object lesson to Adam and Eve that sin usually results in the death of something. And uh, only later in the law, as you pointed out, was that given and more formalized. So it's reasonable to say that uh, Abel and Cain had some conversations with God and they were told about making a sacrifice Oh, why do we have to do that, Lord? Well, mom and dad messed up. Uh, they sin, and every sin requires a sacrifice, and here's what it's going to be. Mm. Okay? So that's kind of reasonable. The next thing that I jump to is, gee, vegetables don't have any blood. Vegetables mm. come out of the ground. Uh, you plant them and they grow and there's no death involved, really, of a, of a sentient being. Okay, animals are not sentient in the same way that humans are. But there's an awareness, there's a life force there. And, and there was no object lesson in the sacrifice of vegetables 
Now, granted, later in the Old Testament, you do have things like grain offerings and stuff like that. And But at this point, uh, I would surmise that Cain and Abel both knew that uh, from God's own mouth, however he communicated to them, that there was a sacrifice needed and required of them. Abel chose, okay, uh, that makes sense, I'll go do that. And Cain says, no, 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 I'm I'm growing corn and beans and tomatoes or whatever. I'll bring what I have. And was that a fruit of his labor? Yeah, maybe. But it wasn't what he was told to bring. And so I think that's what the the issue there is, is that... uh, um, he knew what he needed to do and refused to do it. He wanted to do it his own way. And isn't that the nature of humans sometimes? You know, like Frank Sinatra. Isn't it though, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's Frank Sinatra. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in Hebrews 10, it says, except for the, uh, and even with that, it says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to really take the way sin. But, the blood of bulls and goats are what the literature term is uh, uh, foreshadowing the blood of the Lamb of God. So it's reminding the person who brings the sacrifice that his sin really does deserve death. And an animal is symbolic of his understanding, but it's really looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and the blood of the Lamb. So um, you know, that's where I'm, I'm coming from on it. The other interesting piece of this, Cain has a conversation with God after the failed sacrifice. And he brings up, oh, whoever sees me will kill me. And God directly talks to him and makes a provision for Cain to preserve his life. So, you know, in those early um, eras, years, however long it took, uh, speaking to God directly apparently was not an unusual thing. And uh, Cain had a legitimate concern. Gee, I'm going to be killed by whoever finds me. And God says, no, no, I'll provide for you. So even in Cain's disobedience, uh, God makes a provision for him that he would not have the death penalty invoked right then. Now, did Cain learn his lesson? Never really tells us, I don't think. Uh, and beyond that, we begin to get into some real speculation of who are the descendants of Cain and, and all that sort of thing. And I think that's really beyond the, the, the scope of the question here. I think the other thing that I've used, and I've heard at different times, it's not original with me, Cain said, you know, God says to Cain, where's, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the implied answer is no. But the comeback to that is, well, that's true, but you are your brother's brother. And with that comes certain familial obligations and uh, God expects his family to get along. In fact, as you read further in the 
Old Testament, uh, the whole Jewish nation was supposed to treat each other like brothers, not as strangers or neighbors or even fellow citizens, but brothers, and which is a, a much higher calling. And initially, at least, Cain failed that, that command, that, that implicit command that your family, uh, and you should be looking out for each other. But he didn't. You know, he was jealous rather than, you know, we could speculate. Now, this is really off the rails here, but let's say, if Cain really wanted to bring vegetables, why didn't he say to God, God, are you sure? Would you explain that to me? Why? And maybe he would have got an answer. And, but he didn't. And, of course, his sacrifice was unacceptable because it wasn't what was told to do. So he was being grossly disobedient in his sacrifice. He he was giving an outward sign of obedience, bringing a sacrifice with an inner attitude of rebellion for an answer. Oh, well, it's very comprehensive. Um, so just starting back at the beginning... Sanctified speculation, this kind of touches the guardrails question that I had the other day about how Mm -hmm. far is too far, what keeps you straight. If somebody was thinking about how to fill in the gaps in a Bible story, Mm. I think I know what you mean about sanctified speculation. And I think I understand, because you said it a couple of times, it's too far. How did you know that that was too far to go, and how did you know you didn't know, but what was your confidence for thinking that this amount of speculation is probably pretty safe and further is not? Well, in this case, it was because I was using other verses of Scripture. You know, I went to Hebrews 10 and 11. You know, right. I read, you know, in detail Genesis 4. And uh, the way the Bible is written... Uh, you know, every verse has a commentary someplace else in the Bible on it. Mm-hmm. And just about any question you ask, legitimately ask, you can think of scriptures that, you know, and that's what I did. I said, okay, what, what other scriptures can we use? Oh, Hebrews talks about the sacrificial system. We looked at that. And, uh, so in that sense, it is, it's, is it speculation? Mm-hmm. No, but it's application of something that's written, you know, almost to the other end of the Bible. And does explain that uh, the blood in a sacrifice was the important element, and vegetables did not have that element. Okay, so that's a that's a pretty good explanation of of what? Of how to think about how to use the tool of, you know, in quotes, spiritual speculation, how to, how to appropriately mm-hmm. use that tool within limits that are defendable, supportable. And, and I suppose what you would say then is that, you know, fair-minded people can still disagree as, you know, as to those speculations, but they probably wouldn't disagree by a lot, would be my guess. Probably not you know, a lot. And, and of course, yeah, unless they're woven spaceships or something, right? Yeah. Well, and one of the intermediate steps 
which I kind of skip over. Maybe I'm a little too intuitive, but, you know, as a, a theologian would sit down with a question and word the question very, very carefully. What, what are we, uh, what are we really seeking to answer here? And, you know, what do they say in science? You know, a, a well-worded question is about 80% of the way to the answer. Well, that's, and then, that's appraisal if it's nothing else. That is exactly what appraisal is about. If you get the question wrong, everyone's going to spend a lot of time and money answering the wrong question. So we spend a lot of time tightening up that question until everyone understands well, it. Well, let's delve into appraisal. You know, you're given a parcel of land to appraise, and then first thing you probably do is you say, well, what class is this property in? Is it vacant land? Is it single family? Is it multifamily? Is it a warehouse? You know, industrial? I don't know. You've got to probably a right. different classes. And your first thing in when you're studying the scripture with the question, you might jot down uh, three or four possible ways that you could take this line of thought. And well, God was an ogre. Well, it doesn't seem right, but we'll write it down. Um, God didn't tell him, and he just wanted to get even with Cain. Maybe we'd have three or four other things. And then we would begin to say, okay, where are our principles in the Scripture that support or deny each of those three or four or five hypotheses? And... uh and that's, you know, I kind of jumped to that just because, I don't know, just the way my mind works. But if we had a real thorny issue, uh, you know, we would actually probably sit down and word that question very, very tightly and make sure that we're answering the question and not some hidden agenda question. Right. You know, have you put beating your wife yet? Well, <laughs> you know, it, it's one of the, if you don't word the question right, you can't really answer it, you know. Uh, you know, maybe then the implied question here or, or, you know, the skeptic might say, see, see, God is unfair. You know, Cain brought what he had and it wasn't acceptable. See what a meaning God is? And the truth of the matter is by looking at it, Cain talks to God after the failed sacrifice. His parents have been talking to God when he clothed them. Uh, when you read the scripture, you like to get into Job, which is a very early work. Um, there's a, apparently a fair amount of spirituality outside the Jewish nation. I mean, all the characters in the book of Job are Gentiles. So there right. is an awareness of God, you know. Uh, the Job, the person, is probably a contemporary of Abraham, which is predates Moses by hmm, around number 600 years. Yeah. So, you know, God did not leave the world without his presence or his witness for those uh, to seek him. You know, and of course, right. that's when those who seek him will find him. So, you know, that's what I would do. And then the next step, if we were looking at something, you know, this here is not an issue of salvation, how we view it, you know. 
But if it was a real important issue, either in the way we operate our church, or what we believe about the Messiah, or a number of other issues, then when we get those three or four hypotheses, and we get the various verses, and and this is key, the verses that tend to support it, and maybe we do another level of logic on each of those verses, then we probably go to, you know, a pastor or or somebody that we know to have a certain um, maturity in examining tough issues. Mm. You know, you don't go to you don't go to the guy that's been Christian six months probably. But you know, you might go to your pastor or earn PhD in divinity. Yeah. Okay. Hey, right. Pastor, am I on the right track here? And help me uh, prove or disprove each of these hypotheses. And at some point, at some point, um, maybe you can't come to an absolute conclusion. And I heard one uh, professor say there's certain icebox issues. An icebox issue? What's that? Well, that's an issue that you can kind of grab hold of it, but you can't really digest it. So you put it in the icebox for another day when you'll take it out and re-examine it. And all of us come to those icebox issues. And if we really need to know the answer, maybe God will give us the answer. But uh, for our, our circumstances in life, uh, maybe where we are in our maturity and our walk with Christ, uh, well, we just don't need to have the answer on that. I don't, you know, um, you know which TV preacher is really on the beam and, and right. Maybe I don't need to know that because I've got a local preacher right here who I know is good. Right. You know, that's an icebox issue. Um, you know, if you make too much pizza night, you know, you eat what you can and you put the rest in the icebox for tomorrow morning. I don't know. Right. It's a good concept because um, the Bible is, how how do we put it? It's accurate on all things it speaks, but it doesn't speak on all things we'd like to know. Right. This is probably one one of those issues. But I think we can... But but it hints at stuff, right? I I mean, that's the thing about Cain. And there's Cain's sort of like an example of things that are hinted at uh, lightly sketched, but not really mm-hmm. fully described. So I'm, I'm left with, um, gosh, what, what, what is that? What what was the sin? Because Jude mentions uh, Cain's sin, sort of. He says, woe to them in verse 11 of Jude, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they've given themselves up to the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. That's all you get. You don't get much more than that. And yeah. clearly Cain was wrong or there wouldn't have been an error, right, of the way of yep. Cain. Yeah. And he yep. got looped in with, with Balaam and Korah, which tells you it was a rebellion and someone whose heart was not right with God. So by by mm-hmm. sort of uh, inference, you can see that. So whatever happened with Cain, this was not God likes meat and not vegetables. There was something different entirely because because of the way Jude describes it, right? Yeah. 
Well, it's doing things our way, you know. Uh, what is it? The Psalms, it says, uh, uh, I can't give you chapter and verse at the moment, but still there's a way which seems right to a man, but the way thereof is death. I think that's and, Proverbs 28.1, but I'm not positive. 20, well, I'm never going to go with this address thing, but yeah. But anyway, you get the, the drift here. Proverbs. Yeah, know, I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, that there's a, uh, at the core, it's I'm going to do it my way. And there's a certain, you know, in psychology, there's a disorder called a defiance disorder. Yeah. Uh, I don't care if you are right. I just want to do it my way, you know, even if you are right. Yeah, even if it kills me, I'll do it, you know, my way. And, you know, isn't that the core of our fallen nature, you know? And every one of us has to, at some point, come to the point of submitting that self-will to God's will. And we never really overcome that because, you know, if we did, we wouldn't have temptations and we'll do uh, right. You know, in, anyway, that's kind of where I, I go on this on King and Abel. And uh, Abel, for whatever reason, said, okay, God, I'll, I'll do it your way. Sure. And King said, no, I don't like that way because maybe maybe the pride issue was King would have had to go trade some vegetables for an appropriate sacrifice. And... I, yeah. He would have had to humble himself before Abel. I, you know, it, it, I don't know. And, and so to your point about sanctified speculation, I heard the caution you had when you're explaining about going too far. And you, yeah. you, you know, I think it would be impossible to form a bright line rule of how far is too far. Yeah. And, oh, you know, and, I, and and that's where, as an illustrator, you know, if I was preaching this, which fortunately I don't have to, but, you know, there's there's a certain amount of what are the things in the human heart that, uh, you know, I, I have to, you know, I have to go to my brother and ask him to help me out. There's a certain submission there or pride there. And, you know, in her family, rather, well, you know, I've got four kids, I've got three. You know, there's a certain rivalry among siblings sometimes, and nobody wants to admit that the other one is right. Yeah. And I don't understand, and, uh, yeah. So anyway, I mean, that's, that now is real speculation, but, uh, when you think about family dynamics that we know that happen here all the time, and you put that into this first family and you say, hmm, three or four things that could come up here that shed some light what's going on. So, but but really it's, it's, it's all about weighing out the available evidence. And where there isn't a lot, clearly then there can't be a long-ranging, a far-ranging speculation. And that's, I think, what no. I heard you saying. Yeah, we bring in the verses that seem most relevant, you know, the Hebrews passage, uh, the conversation with God after the sin, uh, the conversation with God and Adam and Eve. Those are all right there, black and white, 
and uh, we're, we're making only minor little steps beyond those things. And then at that point, we're saying, hmm, seems reasonable. I'm going to put that in the icebox. And when I get to heaven, I'll ask Abel and Jesus. And, you know, if King finally comes to his senses, we'll ask him, what was really going on in that story? Then we'll know. Until then, hmm, it's an icebox issue. I could, I could see that. I, I, yeah, I can see that. So it's unsolvable ultimately. We can get some degree of understanding through supported, careful speculation, but mm-hmm. it can't go very far because there's just not much of a record in the scriptures about, about Cain. And sure. it's, and there's not, and there's not a lot in the scriptures that explain about the, the, blood sacrifice, why that's important. And Hebrews is one, but the one they all seem to rest on appears to be Leviticus 17. And it's the only other place that I that I saw ever saw an explanation, and it's somewhere around, oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, like 10 or 11, it's 11. For the life of the flesh, it's Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've made... And I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Therefore I said to the sons of Israel, no person among you may eat blood, nor any stranger who resides among you eat blood. But there's just not a a lot of support for that either. So if you took the Hebrews passage and the Leviticus passage, there's just not a lot of other authority and I guess somebody would say there doesn't have to be a lot of authority, but still, Cain knew and Abel, well, at the least, Abel definitely knew. Cain probably should have known if your speculation is on. I tend to think it is. But still, then, okay, then, the, then what that makes me ask is, what's the point of the law? So there's an implied law in that story in Cain and Abel. There's an explicit law in Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, and well, number, yeah, that becomes sort of a restatement of the law. But then the whole law is sort of restated again at the end of Ezekiel. You know, when the, when mm-hmm. Ezekiel is getting the new plans, the plans for the new the new temple. What's the so if Cain and Abel already know all this, what's the purpose then of the law that God gives Moses? Is it a, a different law? Is it a more what is it? And I realize this may be a different well, I, question, but if if Cain yeah, already it, it knew, will be. Yeah, they, okay. they already knew because of their close walk. But what is it? Early in Genesis, uh, was it after the flood? In so and so's day, they began to call on the name of the Lord. Where is that passage? Oh, photographic. Yeah, but I don't I think know about you're right with the Leviticus. Yeah, but the Leviticus passage really is one that I didn't think of. But it sure explains that that sin requires life. You know, it's true in the in the Lamb of God, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus. That uh you know, and, and the sacrifice of the animals for the first clothing. Well, uh, it's okay, so, veg- so Bob veg- yeah. Okay, so if you take that idea about Cain with the vegetables the first thing Adam and Eve clothed themselves with were fig leaves, vegetables, non-sentient yeah. beings, right? 
Right, which was not but, acceptable. So that was blood covering sin. That the animals had to die to make the skins. I'm assuming that God didn't just produce skins. I'm assuming that something had to die for Adam and Eve to have the, the, the skin clothing, right? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the same model as Cain and Abel. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve. It could Adam be. Able to fit. T- yeah. Yeah, what they call uh, typology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so why then were Adam and Eve received in that and not rebu- well they were rebuked but they weren't rebuked for the fig leaves what's the difference because they, they don't feel the same even though they look the, well they look kind of the same yeah well and you know in the story all the way through is uh, with Adam and Eve God makes provision to cover their their shame um, God says you know, no, the animal that Abel brought didn't really cover his sin, but it taught Abel a lesson about sin. And later in the greater sacrificial system, time and again, we're, we're shown that that sin requires the payment in life, uh, the blood. And uh, the life is in the blood. So... Yeah, it's Genesis 4.26. I hit the concordance. Seth was born and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So Hmm. there was a drifting away and then there was a drifting too. Um, But not everybody called on the name of the Lord. And, uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're pulling together a lot of threads here. And again, we're we're kind of maybe going a, a step a little bit further. I mean, the thing that occurs to me, um, the covenants, uh, the literal Hebrew, I understand, says to cut a covenant. You know, God makes a covenant with Abraham. Well, what does he do? He sacrifices an animal, splits the side, the two sides, the halves of the carcass, and then the people entering into covenants at that time would walk down the center between the two split sides of the animal, and so it's called to cut a covenant. You know, uh, mm. it's interesting that the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham never walks down the middle. Only the the theophany, the the representation of the Lord, goes down the middle. It's a one-sided covenant. And again, throughout the scriptures, the only sacrifice that God really enjoys is a broken and controlled heart. Now, we express that maybe through the sacrifice of an animal or a grain offering or, you know, an act of service or obedience in the New Testament are more predominant. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, we could go on and on with that, uh, the whole idea of uh, a covenant required blood to make it valid. Okay, so, right, the covenant is now outside of this question. This this question is much more yeah, about it, it, what, yeah, what it, law. But it just kind of, yeah, it kind of bears, but, you know, because it's the death of an animal to seal a, an agreement. 
Agreed. Agreed. It's just it's just outside of this because the death of the animal served at least one purpose and and likely two, you know, to seal covenants and, and to and to cover sin. So, okay. So the question really was, what law was Cain responding to, Cain and Abel, and what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? And the best that we can get to is, I think, a, a supported argument by implication that Cain was in and Abel were in regular, un, unfettered, unfiltered access communication with God and so knew what to do in terms of sacrifice. Abel was willing, Cain was not, and murder resulted entirely because of the condition of Cain's heart. That's kind of where and I think more we got than, to. Yeah, and more than just implicit, I think it's explicit. You know, uh, God's pretty clear on what he wants in many cases, you know. I mean, you can see that in the scriptures, you know. Uh, so I think they explicitly knew what was required for this upcoming sacrament or sacrifice. So you're the saying that the, the law of Okay, so you're saying the Mosaic law then was no change from the existing law. Well, mm-hmm. that's not true. We're not saying that at all. What we're saying is is that the law on the blood sacrifice may have been more or less the same, but it would have been a law that the people were already familiar with. There may have been a change yeah, they, in the Mosaic law, they, but okay. More, more developing it, more, uh, how should we say, uh, Filling in some of the holes in, in a, hey, bring me a sacrifice. And now right. God begins in the Mosaic Law defining what is acceptable and not acceptable. You know, an unblemished sacrifice was one of the, the criteria. Could Cain and Abel know that? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, the, it's, the, I hate to use the word evolving, but there's a, an unfolding of the Mosaic Law. And again, you look at, uh, at Job, you know, I hate to go back to him in one sense, but it's very true. Um, there was already a recognition of what we would call almost the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not unique to Moses. Uh, you know, those, those commandments were codified in other cultures more or less. The highest form of that codification, uh, is that the right, is it codification or codification? Anyway, uh, the highest form comes in, in the scriptures. Uh, but those basic rules were known, you know, going back to Genesis 4, you know, and we see that in, in the experience of Job and his friends. We see, um, you know, Pharaoh uh, appalled by the fact that he might have committed uh, adultery with Abraham's wife. You know, uh, there, there was awareness uh, of basic rules before God, and Pharaoh felt himself in jeopardy of God's discipline, you know, and he was appalled that, you know, he really, how do you put it politely, Gave Abraham a hard time for the deception. Right. So again, so so there's this law that they were clearly acting out, 
that isn't explicitly given in that part of the scriptures. No, it's not. So it, it may have been explicit to them, but to us, with the record we have, it's implicit. It's implicit. That, that's a good way to put it, Frank, because we can surmise that, yeah, they knew what they needed to do, and they didn't. Well, Cain, at least, did not do it. I, I, I think that, okay, I, I think a few things. Number one, I think we've answered or barely covered the scope of the original questions, those two questions. Mm. And two, it opens the doors for a, several really interesting other questions to explore, which is sort of one is the, the increasing refinement of God's revelation through the, through the, through the scriptures, through if you saw the scriptures as a unified story of God and his plan for mankind, then the revelation must be refining. You can see it. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, an, that's, I think, worth exploring as a theme. No? Mm-hmm. And then, I'm, I'm, I'm tired now, so there was a couple of other questions that, that sort of jogged in my mind as we went, and one of them really had to do with the blood sacrifice. That's endlessly fascinating to me. Endlessly yeah. fascinating. Because it, it finds its mm-hmm. highest fulfillment. And again, this refinement of the revelation, it finds it in, in the, uh, in the crucifixion of, of Jesus. So, so there's a couple of questions here that, that are now open, if you want to talk about them on another episode. On <laughs> another episode, we're both tired. Oh, well, you know, let me, let me wrap it up with, with one thing just to, to kind of tease that thought. Um, Are you going to do an outro here? Is this an outro? You're going to like handcraft one? <laughs> well, we can call it that if you want. <laughs> but in seminary, they, they talked about the scripture had, uh, the thread, and I want to, was it the red thread of redemption woven through each book of the scripture? That the th- the underlying theme is God is working in each book of the Bible to bring a people or a person or a group of people into fellowship with himself. Okay. So they called it either the golden thread or the red thread of redemption. I forget now. It was one of those things that, uh, oh, that's an interesting thought. I never really followed up on it. And you could trace, if you were to read just the scriptures from where is God the Redeemer? You know, Adam and Eve, he makes a sacrifice for them in terms of the skins. You know, in Cain, he, maybe Cain believes or doesn't believe, but God made a provision so that Cain would lose his life and he would have time to think about his ways. And as you go on, you know, in each story, God is one of the principal actors in each story and how he works. Okay, that's that's interesting too because it's is it I think it's Esther where God isn't mentioned, isn't named, but he's clearly yeah. behind the scenes, very clearly. Yeah, and that's why some people you know don't like Esther because God isn't mentioned, but but he's the God of providence in that. And the whole statement for such a time as this, you know, you've maybe maybe you have come to this office for such a time as this. 
There's another point. Yeah, there's a, I'm sorry. No, go for it. There's another place in there where, where Haman's friends come to him and they say, if this Mordecai is a Jew, if this Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is a Jew, then God's hand is against you and, and basically you're dead. Yeah. It's, it's really clear the covenant is, is, is like affirmed and exposed, shown through that statement. Not, not from Mordecai or Esther, but through Haman's friends. And Haman is like incarnate evil in the story. Yeah. And, friends, yeah. and his friends can even identify what the problem is. It was, yeah. it's, it's like, wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's interesting, you know, we were talking here a few months ago about the inspiration of Scripture being accurate. And where God quotes an unbeliever, you can believe that it's an accurate quote. It may or may not be a right, you know, principle. But in this case, it happened to be a right principle, you know. Yes, yeah, startlingly so, out of, you know, yeah. just like, how would they know that? I mean... Yeah. Really, truly, that was a, that's like a, of all the things that happened in Esther, that's the thing that consistently, each time I read it, I'm just like, wow, that's a really interesting comment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's all kinds of interesting little gems like that along the way, you know. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they you know. So, so hold that thought for another, another discussion. <laughs> I think it's really okay. worth talking about. Um, I do. I could, I, I, and another thing we could we could try is exploring a theme all the way through the scriptures, or getting you know like everybody else has ever done. You know, here's our commentary on this, or your commentary on this. You know, just to have at it. We can have a lot of fun with it. But this conversation was good because it reinforced the tool of of uh, reliable uh, Bible study techniques, tools. Yeah. And it added to the tool yeah. kit. And yeah, yeah. And realizing too that that you know it's really important. You know, the Bible is accurate on all things it reports. Sometimes it reports somebody's wrong attitude, um, but it doesn't always give us an exhaustive uh, background of what's going on. It, you know, we have to at that point. Uh, say that what's revealed is sufficient. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. All right. Yeah. Time for a handcrafted, custom-made, improvisational outro. <laughs> are you up? Are you doing it, or you want me to? Uh, no, you're doing it. I was going to say, <laughs> I'd say, Frank, go get your laundry out of the washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've spent another uh, quality session with Bob and Frank exploring the imponderables and maybe the ponderables of the Christian life. Hope you've enjoyed today's conversation. I know that I have. I can tell by Bob's upbeat uh, laugh at the end that he enjoyed it as well. Come back and join us again for our next episode. Like and subscribe. Do whatever you have to do on this to let us know that we're doing a good job. And in the meantime, if you think of topics you'd like to hear, questions you'd like to discuss, or any, other, any way that we could make the podcast a little bit better, let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you in all that you do. From your lips to God's ears. Thank you, Frank.